All right, guys. Well, so what we're going to do the next three weeks is I wanted to do a preemptive strike. And so normally around this time of the year, actually in January, normally I start January 1st, we come up with New Year's resolutions. And what I want to do is I want to not only influence your New Year's resolutions, I want to influence all the conversations you have about New Year's resolutions for the next few weeks leading up to January 1st. I'm hoping over the next few weeks we talk about disciplines of a godly man. Uh, we're going to talk about a few very specific disciplines, spiritual disciplines. If you talk to Cliff Sanders, he'd call them means of grace. Uh, so we're going to be talking about a few very specific disciplines uh, that I really think are, are things we all need to work on. And, and I hope that as we talk about these in the next few weeks, you might come across with a few resolutions to kick off the new year. And like I said, I'd love for you to be talking to your friends and families and others who may need to hear the resolutions as well. So you are the small army in this community who will be impacting a lot of very important commitments for the church and for the community at large going into next year. Does that make sense? So that's my goal, at least. So we're going to start with the, the, the discipline we're going to start with today is a very, very simple discipline, and I'm going to call it uh, that we have the discipline of making the time that we gather together holy. And in particular, I'm talking about our worship services. So the time that we gather, do we make it holy? Is it a holy time set apart for us? Uh, the, the verse I'm going to center on today is in Hebrews 10, and there's, there's this verse right in the middle of this, of this long thought, and right in the middle it says these words. It says, do not neglect meeting together. Do not forsake the gathering is another way to say it. We get a very important command from God that says, it is important that you gather together. Do not neglect it. And then it'll say, as some are in the habit of doing. And so I'm going to go through that passage, both what comes before it, what comes after it, because it's very important what comes before it, and even more important what comes after it. We're going to talk about that. But the discipline I want to talk about is, are we actually gathering together? Are we, are we coming together and making the time that we gather, in particular for worship, are we making it holy? Are we setting it apart? Is it a priority? Is it important? Right? If you think about the disciplines we need to have as godly men, one of the most important disciplines, and honestly one that's probably overlooked the most, is the simple discipline of making holy the time that God has given us to gather together and praise and worship him. Make sense? So we'll, we'll get into that. And here's what I want you to do to kick off the discussion. At your tables... I'd like for you to talk about what does it mean to you whenever you hear the words go to church, right? What does it mean to you? Whenever you hear the words go to church, what does it mean to you right now? And maybe how has that idea of going to church changed for you over your life? So let's talk about that for a little bit at your group and we'll, and we'll come back. What does it mean to go to church? All right, well, let's... Let's start bringing it back here. I'll let you wrap up a uh, conversation. So whenever, whenever I hear the idea of, of going to church, in particular, is, is I get, you, you get asked this question a lot in Oklahoma, where do you go to church? And it, I, I'm going to apologize in advance today. You're going to get more of a soapbox rant from me today than you're going to get a Bible lesson. So... so so whenever you hear the idea of where do you go to church, 
it's kind of like, where do you go to the movies? Or where do you go shopping? Or where do you go to get your tires rotated? You know, where, where do you go to the dentist? Right? It's, it's a very consumeristic right, idea. Just the idea whenever you say, where do you go to church? It's a bit of a consumeristic deal. And we've made it that way, right? I mean, we have... We, we church shop in, in, in an incredible way, especially here in Oklahoma City. I mean, we, we, we've got people who've made church shopping like an art form here in Oklahoma City. Yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah. <laughs> We're not going to get into a food discussion here today. So I've worked years in this class not to have food discussions. So, it's, so, uh, so if, if, you, if you think about this, just this idea of where do you go to church, you're very tempted to start to think about the church as a consumeristic activity. It's very, very natural. Everything else we do in this world is very consumeristic. And so it's natural to, to, to think about everything in your life that way. If we were to reframe the idea of church, though, as what body are you a part of, right? What body are you a part of? What are you an integral part of? Right? Where do you go that you are dependent upon to be a part of the body? Right? Versus where do you go to church? It's a radically different concept. Whenever I said the, the, the idea of this discipline that I've got in my head that I'm trying to explain is making the time that we gather holy, we need to first understand that what we're gathering to be a part of is not normal. Right? This, this, this concept of the church, it's not a building, it's not just a piece of land, it's, it's, it's not a consumeristic activity. It is something that is holy and reverent and beautiful and majestic and set apart. It is so much different than anything else that has ever existed in this world. It is radically different. The best way I think I can describe the church is, you know, just listening to God describe it. So I'm just going to read this real quick. You don't have to flip there to your Bibles. But in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 13 through 22 real quick. And I just want you to hear the idea of being a part of a body. Right? Just, just listen to this. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Talking about Jews and Gentiles being brought together, right? Being brought together by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And listen to this last verse. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Just a beautiful passage. We are being built together, being unified in the Spirit to become one. No matter what your identification was before, no matter if you're Democrat or Republican, black, white, man, woman, no matter what it is, 
right? The Spirit is unifying us and bringing us together because of the blood of Christ into something that is built into a temple as a gift to God himself. That is not a consumeristic activity, right? That is not going to the movie theater. That is not just a place. This is something radically different, far more beautiful, right? That is what we are a part of. So as we think about as we think about what the church actually is, we need to understand that whenever we actually gather together to be a part of the church, when we gather together to worship in particular, we're doing something very, very different. We're doing something that is holy. And God's always shown us that as he's asked his people to gather and he's brought them to his sacred places and to his house, he's always made it clear that it is set apart. It is different. Right, if you go back to the Old Testament and you think about when the tabernacle was constructed and all the ordinances and all the different criteria of what it took to build the tabernacle, the specific dimensions, uh, the, the different processes people had to go through, it was holy, it was set apart, it was something different. If you go and you read the construction designs for the temple and you look at the way the whole system worked to get to the Holy of Holies and who could go into the Holy of Holies and how that whole process worked, it was different, it was set apart. Right? It was reverent. There was, something, there was something powerful in the way he was asking his people to come together into the presence of God. In the New Testament, we see this as well in how people are commanded to meet together. God has always done things to show us that there are times to set things apart. Right? One of the, the best example of this is the idea, the concept of the Sabbath. Right? God gave us six days, and what command did he give us for those six days? Right? To work, to subdue the earth, to conquer this realm of space, to, to take this dimension he has given us and to go subdue it, multiply, right? produce it, cultivate, you know, bring a yield. Right? He's given us this command to be very productive for those six days. But then he says on the seventh day, we what? We rest. It's a completely different command than the first six days. And it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's actually a radical concept if you think about it. And I always tell people, people always think, I mean, this idea of rest, just real quick, another small tangent. This idea of rest, it just doesn't make sense because I've got this whole day of productivity. You know, it just, it, it, I, I can't find a way to, to cram rest in there. It just doesn't make sense, especially in a capitalistic economy. It doesn't make sense to lose a day of productivity. And I tell people, if you don't think the design works, just go watch Chick-fil-A's financial statements roll in, right? I mean, if you just, you just, you just look at it. There is wisdom to this idea of rest. But, if you, but I'll, I'll say I'd say the Sabbath was meant to be something that was set apart. If you read the Old Testament in particular, you're going to see over and over again this, this idea that says, do not forsake the Sabbath. Do not forsake my Sabbath. I have set that day apart. That is my day. I have given you a specific command for that day. It is holy. It is different. Right? It is so different. I, I'm going to give you a quote real quick. Uh, this is from a dead Jewish rabbi, and that's just fun. So uh, this quote's about the Sabbath. It says, To gain control of the world of space is certainly one of our tasks. The danger begins when in gaining power in the realm of space, we forfeit all aspirations in the realm of time. There is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Not to own, but to give. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in accord. 
Life goes wrong when the control of space, the acquisition of things of space, becomes our sole concern. Well, what he's saying about the idea of the Sabbath here is that you've got these two dimensions. You've got space and you've got time. Those six days that we were meant to be productive, we're meant to go out into the world and conquer the world, to subdue, to cultivate, to yield, all these different things. We are conquering the dimension of space, right? We are going and doing what we, what we are meant to be doing in that, time, in that space. But the Sabbath, we are sanctifying that dimension of time. That time is holy. It's not the space that's holy. That time is holy. God has done something very important with that time. He has set it apart for a different purpose than what we do the rest of our week. I say all this just as a primer to make sure you understand that as we gather together on Sundays, on our Sabbath, on that, on that time that God has set apart for us to praise him and worship him, there's something different about it. There's something so, so different about it. I don't want you to ever fall into the trap of thinking that Sundays are just another day, right? It is so easy to fall into that trap. It's just another day. It's another day in my schedule. I've got a lot of things going on. Or even if you don't have a lot of things going on. Honestly, think about this. If, if you don't have a lot of things going on, it's just as tempting to fall into the trap that Sundays are just another day. They're not. They're sacred. Something powerful happens whenever you join this element of time, the sanctification of time, with the space that God has given us to bring his people to gather to be the church that he's called us to be. Whenever... Um, I have these moments here in our church whenever we gather together for worship. You get these moments every now and then where you realize that you're in the presence of holiness. And I don't know if anyone ever had that moment as you worship God. Whenever you, you realize that you are not in something that's normal, but you're in the presence of the holy. And, and if, you watch, if you watch when you bring a child into the church they will actually react instinctively different in different areas of the church. You take them into our kids' area, and it's fun games, and they run crazy. It's a, it's a good time. But you bring them up close to the altar, right? You bring them up close to the sanctuary where you have worship. They start to act differently. They, they, they have this intuition of the reverence of us being in this room where we would come together to worship. There's a holiness about what we're a part of. And whenever you do that, you get this idea of being small in that moment. Whenever you, whenever you ever come across this understanding of the holiness of God, you start to feel this small. R.C. Sproul said it this way. He said, The clearest sensation that a human being has when he experiences the holy is an overpowering and overwhelming sense of creatureliness. That is, when we are in the presence of God, we are humbled and become most aware of ourselves as creatures. This is the opposite of Satan's original temptation. You shall be as gods. One of the greatest things about coming and worshiping our God on Sundays is we are reminded that we're actually not God. We feel that moment where we are small and he is large. We're singing songs of praise to a mighty, majestic, powerful God and he does something beautiful when we are reminded of who we are 
and who he is. That is not normal, right? We have all fallen through on this lie that we are gods, right? That was the original temptation, and you're going to be tempted every single day that you are God, you are master, you are commander, right? That you have control of this thing called life when everyone realizes you have no control of life. Everyone who has gotten a horrible medical diagnosis knows you have no control over this life. But we've been tricked into thinking that we have. That moment when we come together to worship, we are reminded, you are God, we are not. You are holy. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of something amazing. So God gives us this command. because I think God knows God knows our temptation. He knows where we have fallen. He knows uh, what, what we are dealing with in this world. He came and he walked and he died for us. He knows. He knows what we deal with. And so you get to that famous passage in Hebrews 10.25 where he says, Do not neglect the meeting. Do not forsake the gathering. And, and I want to read what comes before that and what comes after that because I think it's very, very important that we leave here today with just an understanding of how important it is that we commit to that time on Sunday and God's place to worship him. Okay, so he tells us, do not neglect it as people are in the, in the, are in the habit of doing. So let me go to Hebrews chapter 10. And if you could hit that, we're going to start in verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And, and this is going to come up before we get to the uh, verse in 25 that says, don't, ne- don't neglect meeting together. So verse 19 says this, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Remember in the Old Testament, whenever the temple had the Holy of Holies behind the curtain, right? And who was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies? Yeah, high priest, how often? Does anyone remember how often? Once a year, right? And they'd even, you know, put the bell on him so that if he walked in there and fell over dead, they could pull him out, you know, all, all that fun stuff. they put the rope on him. So, so whenever Jesus died and, and died on the cross, what tour in the temple? That curtain tour, right? It absolutely tore. And if you ever go on the Israel trip with Terry and Laura, there's this great little exhibit you do there where they put on these goggles and you get to go and do a virtual reality tour of the original temple and whenever you, I always thought whenever I heard the curtain tour, I thought like a curtain that I have like drapes in my house. No, no, this thing was taller than our sanctuary, right? This curtain was massive, right? Massive curtain in, this, in this, the biggest structure of the temple that, that just cuts down the middle and tears in half. And what this is telling us in verse, in verse 19 to 22 is that we are being called to draw near to the Holy of Holies, Right? The curtain has been torn. You have access to God directly through the blood of Christ, right? You too can draw near to the holy of holies. And so we get this idea of our faith being strengthened as we draw near to him. What we're going to find in all these passages leading up to verse 25, whenever we talk about do not forsake the gathering, what we're going to find is that God has given us these positive reasons for why we ought to come to church, 
right? Why we ought to actually meet together. He's going to give us these positive reasons. And then after 20, verse 25, we're going to get to verse 26 and beyond, and he's going to give us some loving warnings about what happens if we don't go, right? So, so this positive thing we're getting here is that we can draw near to the holy of holies. He's reminding us of the power of that. In verse 23, we're going to, talk, we're going to see that, that we have hope as we gather together. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So when two or more are gathered, who is there? God, right? He, he's promised us that when two or more are gathered, he is there. One thing I want you to recognize is that, that as we come together, it is amazing what hope comes out of just the simple discipline of coming together, right? Just what can come from you guys just coming here and meeting in this Bible study, what you're dealing with in life, what you're going through. Whenever you think you can't handle something, you have people who come around you. There is immense hope that comes when people who are part of a body of Christ, not who just go to a building, but people who are an integral part of a body, we get hope from that. We're reminded of things. We're reminded of the promises of God. And then in verse 24 and 25, we see something very specific that occurs as we come together. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So this idea of stir, the stir, and they're leaving to go volunteer. They're not mad at me, I promise. They've talked to me. So, so uh, you guys enjoy your candles, right? So, uh, so this idea of stirring, if you've seen your, it's a very aggressive word. I want you to think about it. If you've ever tried to, um, it's like an agitator, right? So stirring, it, it's something that causes a lot of friction. It's an aggressive word. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. What it's saying is that as we come and we gather together, right, we actually become these agitating forces in a good way. Uh, we, we will find ways to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, uh, to find ways to, to encourage us to, to serve with each other, to love each other. Uh, it's just a, it's a very, very important thing uh, that happens. It all leads to love. And I just want you to think about times whenever you've been at church, how often you've just been encouraged. Um, whether or not you're down, whether or not you've got something going on, just how often you've been encouraged. And so I'll give you an example, a quick story. I, uh, we've got a lady who works at our church, and I'm not going to tell you her name because I haven't gotten permission from her to tell this story, but um, she came to the church back in the late 80s after a divorce. And her husband had left her, and it was a horrible, horrible time in, in her life. And she was not a Christian. Uh, she had not really ever been to a church, had never been to our church. Uh, but she had a friend who kept inviting her over and over again to come to church. And so her friend kept inviting her. She kept saying no. Eventually, the friend was persistent enough that, that this lady showed up in our parking lot down at Belle Isle one Sunday Sat in the parking lot, saw everybody coming into church. She goes, this isn't for me, drove out of the parking lot. Next Sunday, she showed up again in the parking lot, could not get up the courage to walk into the doors of the church, drove out of the parking lot. Did it one more time next Sunday, drove to the parking lot, could not get the courage. Finally, her friend said, you're going to come in, you're going to sit with me. She sits with her friend, 
And we had an usher in the church at the time. I don't know if you guys, some of you guys know um, Johnny Jones. Johnny Jones? You remember Johnny? Johnny? So um, Johnny Jones was an usher at the time, and he was our lead usher for a long time, right away. And um, he came up to her and introduced himself to her, uh, said he was glad that she was there, asked for her name. Next week, he came up to her, saw her again, sitting with her friend, introduced himself, said hi to her, remembered her name, encouraged her, said he couldn't believe how, I was so glad that she came back, was thrilled that she was there and had come to church today. A couple more weeks goes by, and all of a sudden, her friend quits coming to church. Something was going on, her friend would quit coming. And so she came by herself one day and just hated the idea of being alone in church. But Johnny comes by, says hi to her, glad she's there. Next Sunday, her friend isn't there again, and she doesn't like that she's down there, so she sits in the back. And as she sits in the back, she looks out in the church, and she sees all these families. She sees a husband and all these husbands and wives, and she thinks about the fact that she's alone. She's all by herself, and she just gets this overwhelming feeling that she's not meant to be there. And so she goes, I'm not going to make a big fuss, but at the next, and like I said, she's not a Christian at this time. At the next song, I'm going to grab my purse. She already had her hand on her purse, and I'm going to leave. And so song's going on. She has her hand on the purse. She turns to leave, and here comes Johnny Jones. Johnny Jones pats her on the shoulder. She goes, I have been looking all over for you. You normally sit right there, but you're in the back of the church today. I just wanted to come and find you and tell you how glad I am that you are here. It means a lot to me that you're here. So she sat down, stayed the rest of the worship service, was convinced that Marty was preaching directly to her the entire service, and that was the Holy Spirit, gives her life to Christ, has been one of the most incredible servants of this church for decades, right? But what did it take? It took, it took a commitment to gather, to actually be in the presence of the holy, right? Be with the body, be with other people within the body who are, who are committed to serving the body and being part of the body, and then they came together and encouraged, stirred each other in love with good works. And I just think about that. That is the church. Like, that is who we are. And I, just, I, 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 I almost get sick to my stomach at times thinking about what opportunities are missed because we neglect the simple discipline of gathering together. If she had not gotten out of her car that day, if she had driven away again, Right? If Johnny hadn't come to church that day, right? if he hadn't practiced his simple disciplines, the beautiful connection between the Holy Spirit just would not have occurred. And so I, I read this next verse, verse 25, and I want you to feel the weight of the importance of it. It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right? We can't neglect this simple discipline. And as a church, as a country, as whatever you want to say it, we are neglecting this simple discipline. We are down to like, I think for, for average churchgoers in America, we're going 1.7 times a month and that's falling, right? And I, and I just, if you can make any resolution this year, I want you to not neglect the meeting together. Do not forsake the gathering when we come into the presence of holies and we praise his name. 
Now, God gives us a loving warning, and, and he's not telling us this, right? He's not telling us this just because he wants to make sure that the finance guy can have enough tithing for the day, or uh, he's not doing it just so that the senior pastor can look out and see nice, you know, everybody sitting in the seats, and, you know, that's not why he's saying this. God has given us this warning because he cares for you. He loves you. He came and died for you, and he knows that if you neglect that simple discipline, it is so easy for you to fall away from him. Let me read you verse 26. And this is going to sound harsh, and I want you to feel it harshly. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? Just let me translate that real quick. Here's what it means. You have gathered together with God's people and you have been taught the truth of what Jesus Christ came and did. You have been taught the truth of God. You know it. You know the blood that has been shed on your behalf. You know that truth. And yet you have walked away. Right? You have forsaken the gathering. And as you have forsaken the gathering, you, got, you neglect it more and more and more. And then you just walked away from your Savior. And as you walked away from your Savior, because you knew the truth, you know the truth, you are trampling underfoot the sacrifice that the Son of God came and made on your behalf. Right? Now that is a bit of a scary proposition when you meet God one day. And I, 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 I'm not, I really don't mean to sound that like a fire and brimstone sermon type deal, but I want you to actually think about that. Jesus Christ came and died. Right? And he knows that if you neglect, if you neglect this simple act, it's going to be harder for you to stay encouraged and to have hope and to strengthen your faith. It's going to be harder for you to have these moments where the body strengthens you and encourages you and gives you wisdom and knowledge of the Word of God. It's going to be harder for you, and you may fall away from Him. Right? And then, if you fall away from God and you go out into the world chasing another Savior, what he's saying is, there is nothing else out there that's going to save you. Come into the presence of the Holy. Be strengthened, be encouraged, and worship this great God that we have. We have a great, great God. I, um, last night, I don't know if any of you all got to go to the Shane and Shane concert. Did anybody go to the Shane and Shane concert in here? There we go, all right, well done. Uh, great, great concert. And I went into that concert last night with a commitment that I was going to worship. I was going to praise God. And I'm going to tell you the story just because I feel like God... God does unexpected things whenever you come into his presence and you worship him. I went into that concert because I had just great news. Um, yesterday, and I, and I shared this with you all, don't talk widely about this, but I, I consider you guys family. Um, you know, I told you all a couple weeks ago I've enrolled in seminary, and uh, that's, you know, that is awesome. I'm super excited about that. I'm doing that to try to be a better pastor. Um, it's going to be a lot of hard work and a lot of fun. Uh, but my wife and I were talking this weekend. We're trying to figure out how in the world are we going to pay for this. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's not exactly cheap to go through and do this. And so we were just talking about it. And I, already, I was like, you know, we can flex up and down in classes. We'll be able to figure this out. We'll be able to figure this out. 
but there was a moment we just had to pray to God and say, we don't know how this is actually going to work. And so yesterday morning, I, I got a call from the seminary and then got an email from them, and uh, they had let me know that 80% of my seminary cost was going to be scholarshiped. And I, I was, was one of those moments of just almost breaking down in tears, um, just a crazy, crazy gift from God, you know, just a gift. And sometimes I, it's just God's taking care of me in ways just hard to describe. And so um, we were, I, I called my wife, went and had lunch with her. We were both just crying, just, just super excited. And so I wanted to go in to the worship service, and I wanted to thank God. I wanted to praise him for this gift. That was my mindset. I wanted to praise him for that gift. And so it was my wife and my two kids, and, and uh, we, were, we were sitting there singing, and it was towards the end of the concert, and we're singing a song, and we're standing up singing a song, and I'm trying to mentally focus on this, but anytime I'm in a worship service here at the church, my mind immediately goes to everything that's not about worship. I'm looking at the security guards. I'm thinking about whether or not the fire alarm is going to go off because the venue has too much smoke. Uh, I'm wondering whether or not our IT network is failing. Like that's uh, in worship service. That's normally where my mind's at. Whether or not some of our ushers are being too loud back there. You know, it's a uh, never major duck. Never. So that's normally where my mind is. And so I'm trying to I'm trying to focus on God and I'm trying to thank Him for this great gift. And as we're singing the song. I'm hearing this loud music in front of me, and I'm singing, and I'm standing up, and I've got my arm around my little girl, my 10-year-old little girl, and all of a sudden, I'm hearing the music, I'm hearing the music, I'm singing, but then it's like the only thing I heard was the sound of my little girl singing words of praise to God. It came across so pure and so beautiful, and it was like the only thing that was coming in my ear. And it's just at that moment I realized I came in there to thank God for some money. And he reminded me that he's given me this little girl who has learned his word and is trusting him as her savior and is praising him in that moment. And that is the best gift I will ever receive. And I've done it and he's given it to me. Because we've been surrounded by this faithful church who's poured into her and poured into us. And, and it was just that moment that we remember just what all God has done. And so I just tell you that to say the Holy Spirit does amazing things as you come into the presence of holiness. You gather and you worship. You strengthen, you encourage, you love. He will reveal his beauty to you both in terms of who you are and who he is. I don't want you to forget this simple passage, right? Do not forsake the gathering. Do not neglect it. Make it into your discipline. And so here's your application. And you can feel free to talk about this at your tables. But Cliff Sanders always says your application needs to be specific and it needs to be personal and it needs to be measurable, right? So here's your application. There are a lot of really good reasons for why we don't, meet together we don't come into his house on Sundays some of them are health reasons and so we can make our online experience holy right what I want us to talk about is what is it in your life that is keeping you from making that time on Sunday mornings holy right what is it that's keeping you from making it holy identify that what is it is it your schedule is it your work is it your commitment to the National Football League right what is it what is it? Because whatever it is, it's not worth it. 
It's not worth it. And I want to be really careful because we got guys online, we got guys here who maybe can't actually physically get to church on Sunday, and that's okay. Make that time when you're online at home holy. Set it apart. There are things that whenever I was worshiping online were distracting me. My wife doing the laundry while we were doing Sunday service online distracted us both, right? So it's like, what is it that is keeping us from making that time holy, that's keeping us from, from being together in those moments? Figure out what it is and kill it. Kill it. Absolutely kill it. It is not worth it. It is not worth it. Think about that this week. Pray about that this week. If, if, if you're saying your wife is the thing keeping you from the holy, don't kill her, right? I'll be very careful that you don't misinterpret my application. I'm just waiting to show up in a news report on this, and I'm going to go delete this. Eliminate the distraction without breaking the law of God, all right? Cover myself legally on all this, but really pray about that. This week, pray about it. What's keeping you from the presence of holiness, right? Be a part of it. Don't neglect it. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for these men. Uh, I'm so encouraged by them so often. I thank you for their prayers. Lord, this is your word, and your word is good. You give us a warning in this passage, and it's not for your sake but ours. We, we, we understand your love for us and your warning. Let us heed this warning. Let us heed this command. Let us believe in the promises you state in this passage. Let us not forsake the gathering together. We love you, Lord. May you watch over all these men this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.